Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Beauty and the Beast Physical Therapy and Strength Conditioning Podcast. After a couple week hiatus, we are back with my co-host, Dr. Ross Childs. How's it going, everyone? Hope uh, you've had a chance to enjoy winter now that it's actually upon us. I'm kind of upset that it took winter two months to get here, but uh, hopefully it will be gone uh, soon. So, uh, Adam, I saw you were in uh, Dallas recently, so other other than the great food down there, did you enjoy it? Was that your first time in Texas? Yes, it was, and that was fantastic. Yeah. I was talking to some of the coaches on the way home and just, like, other people. That one conference did – I mean, like, since I left to do my own thing, that conference did so much to help me find direction mm-hmm. and, like – know like where I should be going because this whole time I've kind of been struggling with I my clientele was very general like it is here at uh, like it was at get fit but that's difficult when you're by yourself and you're an online space because you know like here there are multiple coaches so maybe if something doesn't resonate or if somebody doesn't connect with me as much they might connect with one of the other coaches yeah when you're by yourself it's really like you have to find the message that connects you to someone else, and I've been having a hard time figuring that out, and that did so much to help me figure that out. It's it's crazy. I'm yeah. super stoked. Well, one of the things early on that that I was taught is that you know, for marketing purposes, it's important to have your target population or yeah. your, your niche market, um, and then you can branch out afterwards. So, um, leaving it too general, unfortunately, it's it's. People kind of just gloss over it because nothing resonates with them. So right. it's a funny. It's funny because most people think like, "Oh, I leave it more general. That leaves it more open to like more people are going to flock to me." But it yeah, it doesn't that, sing to anyone. Exactly. All that happens is you don't appeal appeal to anyone. Correct. So well, that's good. I'm glad you got a lot out of it. And I saw that you had great food down there, and uh, oh, it was God, certainly so good. Yeah, I mean the barbecue down there. Were those beef ribs? Yes, and I beef I ribs? screwed yeah I screwed up a little bit. I, uh, that meal that I sent the picture of ended up being like 76 bucks. Yeah. I mean, it ended up being, I mean, it was kind, it was worth it. It was my first time in Texas, Texas barbecue beef. I was excited, but like. Beef ribs are amazing. I just kind of like misread the, like the way that you could put the meals together. And so I wanted a beef rib specifically, but I couldn't get it as part of like the package or whatever. Yeah. So the guy just asked me, here, does this one look good? And I was like, yeah, sure. He goes to put it on the scale. And like as he's putting on the scale, my brain goes, wait a minute, crap. That was $16.99 per half pound, not per pound. That's how they get you. Oh, crap. I was like, that thing is huge. One point, it was like just under one and a quarter pounds. Uh, 40 bucks. He goes to put it in there. And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't realize how big. And he just kind of like laughs and puts it on the tray. I'm like, well... When in Texas. That's not going to be fun when I get to the cash register, but whatever. So it was worth it. It was amazing, but... Yeah. Don't forget the <laughs> business write-off. Yeah, right. Um, not, yeah, and that's that's that was a business trip, so... Yep. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, 100%. You, you paid full full attention to that. Well, it's good. Uh, I, I do enjoy Texas. I've been down there a couple times, and the food's great. It's like huge highways, huge... Yes. The churches are enormous down there. You can drive down... There's one major highway that goes from Dallas to Austin, yep. and everyone's going 80 miles per hour. Yep. There's huge truck stops that look like football stadiums, yep. and then you'll just see Texas Longhorns on the side of the, the road. You'll see a huge farm, and they're just like 20 yards away from the highway. That's awesome. It's pretty we remarkable. We didn't get quite that far out of Dallas, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, and if you, if you get a chance to go back, uh, Austin's a great place to go to, so, cool. um, and, and the weather's nice. So Yes. All right, so today we're going to talk about the importance of resistance training or strength training or weight training, whatever you choose to to call it. By now, everyone knows our stance on using weights. We think it's important for everyone, but we really want to hammer home the benefits on why we do it. Also, at the same time, I've had a couple patients uh, talk about how they don't want to lift heavier and heavier weights out of fear that they're going to get bulky. So um, we want to dispel that myth and we want to talk about why we should focus on lifting heavier and heavier weights. Now that's not going to be the only way to go about working out, but you're not going to hear me say don't do it. And and from what I know about Adam, you're not going to hear that from him either because our goal 
is to always be a little bit better in the in the gym every time we go in. And that can be adding more sets, more reps, more weight, um, decreasing your rest period, um, doing more in less time, whatever you choose to call it. But hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll go over that today. Now, Adam, have you had clients who say to you, I don't want to lift heavy weights because I don't want to bulk up? Yes. What is the most common response that you'll give back to them? First, do you agree with their statement? And then how do you respond after that? No, I don't. I no, I don't agree necessarily. I mean, not necessarily. I don't agree, but I, you know, I don't say it quite that strongly. But um, usually, what I try to do is educate most. You know, I mean, if you're having like a quick conversation with somebody, you can't always get that point across. But if I have the time to go through it, I often try to lay out exactly what it would take for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Like what. You know, specifically, this this tends to happen more with females. Yeah. So, and for females, I mean, you already have to, as a male, do a, a lot of things well to gain enough muscle to be considered, in quotes, bulky. And for a female, it's, you know, much harder. Yeah. Just because the way our hormone structures are, men build muscle more easily than women. Yeah. So men basically just have to resistance train and increase how much they eat and they'll put on muscle. I mean, Fairly pretty easy. pretty easily, but women it's, you know, they have to increase it, they have to work around, you know, menstrual cycles, they have yeah. to work around hormone stuff, all all that kind of stuff in order to get the Mu- same result. The muscle fiber type because yep. it may not even, you know, their their body type I think is important. So when looking at like are they a mesomorph versus an ectomorph versus an endomorph? Yep. You know, someone who's uh, an ectomorph, you know, the, the hard gainers. You know, right. You can lift all you want. You're probably not going to put on a lot of muscle mass. Right. And then you have the uh, the mesomorphs who can look at weights and put on muscle mass. Yep. And they have a, a nice lean structure at all times. And then you have the in-betweens, which I'd say, you know, I still fall into that category. Um, you know, you can easily gain muscle and fat right. at, at equal rates. But... How you do a lot of heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, you're certainly no stranger to it. On a scale of zero, meaning you can't gain bulkiness, and 10 is super easy, mm-hmm. how easy do you think it is to actually bulk up muscle mass, not take fat out of the equation? Yeah, so taking fat completely out of the equation, if I'm eating in a calorie surplus and I'm writing training in order to do that, for me... Probably like a six or seven, mm-hmm. uh, I'd say. I tend to put on, if I'm eating to support that goal and training to support that goal, I tend to put on strength and muscle pr- relatively quickly. Okay, so I like how you brought both of those up. What's easier to gain, strength, strength. or muscle? So Sorry, that, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's strength. all right. You jumped right in. So, <laughs> um, But also, I hope everyone remembers Adam's been training for a very long time he also said basically if his training is on par and he's making sure that his nutrition also complements his training it can be easy this is nothing against our listeners Mm -hmm. but they're probably not taking the same methodical approach that you are so now what do you think the average person's likelihood of gaining muscle mass from just your average strength training program is on that same 0 to 10 scale? I'd say women, 3 to 4. Men, 4 to 5 maybe. Because just naturally men tend to eat more than women anyways. Yeah. So it's your – I mean just like men are less worried about restricting calories. Yeah. So it they're more liable to put it on I yeah. think in and my experience. But yeah, and I think just the – the increase in testosterone also right. plays into that as well. So even if we are, you know, you picked a 3-4 for, for women, so you can still gain muscle mass. However, that's assuming it's just the average day. Now, if they then took their nutrition very, very serious, made sure they hit their macros every day, yep. and make sure they hit a caloric surplus, plus they were getting eight hours of sleep a night, plus they had the best stress management in the world, 
that may bring them to a six. Oh, that's hysterical that you picked the six because I thought you were going to ask me and I was going to say six. So. Yeah, so even doing everything right, they're mm-hmm. not going to see that much of a large increase. If someone realistically gains that much muscle fast, they're either genetically gifted yeah. and were probably muscular to begin with, or there's something else going on. Yeah. Which, interesting, quick story. Um, I've noticed on social media a lot of like these dad bods and then all of a sudden, you know, you see they're ripped and jacked like yeah. out of their minds in the next photo. I'm like, I-, I think all these guys are on TRT, testosterone replacement therapy. Yeah. I'm like, how the hell are they getting it so easily? Because 10 years ago, like you basically had to be on basically crawling into the doctor's right. office to get it. So I have a, a medical doctor who's a who's a patient and I said... I know this has nothing to do with what we're doing today, but do you feel like there's a lot more 30 and 40 year olds on TRT? And he just smiled. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and he said that they, they've changed the definition of what low T is. And now you have all these men's clinics that are around that it's much, it's readily available to get TRT now. I've been wondering what, like, cause I see, I see testosterone therapy things, and I've wondered kind of what that was. So, what is the new? What is their new number? I'm not even sure what it oh, is. Okay, but it's it's very easy to get it now, I guess. So now all of a sudden you see these guys that oh, I've been working out for six months and they're shredded like eight packs, huge veins. It's like mm, that's. I mean, I I don't look like that, and I've been working out for twenty something years. Right. Um. So it's just interesting that there's so many people on hormone replacement therapy which frankly as far as social media goes i think a lot of the females are are doing that too i think we already touched upon that or or actually i asked ashley if she thinks and she said yes all right i think you were there for the conversation when i asked her about it we were i think so yeah yeah yeah. but i i just think that unfortunately a lot of people are on hormone replacement therapy well i remember watching um i can't remember what the name of the documentary is now it was on Netflix. It was about this. It was about a bodybuilder who uh, she in the I think it was in the late eighties or early nineties. She killed her. They were her and her husband were both bodybuilders, and he was abusive, and she ended up killing him, and she was in jail and stuff. But I mean that it was an interesting documentary. But the point of <laughs> this statement was that she talked about all the different things that she had to be on in order to be able to compete in bodybuilding. Yeah. And it just like, like people out there that are concerned about looking like some of these female bodybuilders, like they're in thousand calorie surpluses and they're in, despite what everybody thinks, most females resting metabolic, uh, basal metabolic rate is not 800 calories. Most people's is most, especially for active, is probably somewhere in 17, 1800. So that means that they're probably eating close to 3,000 calories. They're strength training. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are probably on, I mean, not everybody, but the one, but the, the women that get really big. Per- performance enhancers. Yeah. You know, we won't, we won't say that it's anything beyond that. But yeah, we'll just no, call it performance right, enhancer. Right. I mean, there comes a certain point that you can just look at someone. Yeah. And have a pretty good idea, and, you know, especially if someone has a super wide back that's a V-shape. Yeah. If they have upper traps that are the size of car tires, there's a pretty good chance there's something else going on. Right. But, um, you know, I, I digress. We're, we went off track there. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So I'm glad you talked about kind of what it takes for you to gain muscle. You know, and, and we have to remember muscle maturity, especially for, for males, it's a lot easier to put on muscle size closer to 35 mm-hmm. just because we tend to see a decrease in metabolism. So then the body can actually then put those calories to use in different ways. So if you have someone that's super lean when they're younger, you know, right around 35 is when they start, quote unquote, filling out. Yeah. Um, so we, we all know those types of, of people. But if a client comes to you and says, I've never really strength trained before. Mm-hmm. What are what are some benefits I can expect? What what off the top of your head do you typically tell them that may or may help them buy in? So just what they're going to be able to do, just the injury prevention is usually the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Um, 
with most of the people that are coming to see me, they either have sore joints or, you know, they, they do a recreational activity and they're sick of feeling so sore during, after, they want to be quicker doing it, whatever that may be, or they just want less knee pain walking up and down the stairs. Yeah. So building the strength around the joints, building up the soft tissue, the tendons, the muscles, and all that sort of stuff to be able to support the joints better. For most of the time, that's what the clients I'm talking to are looking for, and that's usually the way that I'm uh, tailoring that message. Yeah, and I think that's a great way to go about it because you know they don't really care about the nitty-gritty scientific specific stuff that you and I would be jacked up about. Right. Like if we said, you can have muscle hypertrophy, they would probably think it's a disease. So <laughs> yeah. um, so it's good that you, you point it that way towards function and, and really just whatever you love doing, mm-hmm. you can keep doing it, but you have to make your body strong enough, right. flexible enough, mobile enough. Um, now, if we start to get into the nitty gritty with why people should actually do it, Let's start with, you know, kind of muscle morphology changes. What's what's the biggest benefit that people can get from consistent strength training, resistance training? What happens to their muscles? They get stronger. They get larger. Yeah. So they do they'll have a relative cross-sectional area, which then if the muscle gets bigger, that also is going to increase relative strength. Now, the reason I bring this up is because you have muscle strength, and then you have muscle hypertrophy. Mm. So true or false, you can have good muscular strength without having a lot of muscular hypertrophy. True. Okay. Next question, true or false, you can be weak and have, or weaker in Mm. the scheme of things, and have a lot of muscular hypertrophy. True. True. So I want everyone to, to hear that. So if we think of like a power lifter who's in a lower weight range, or like farmers, for example, have relative strength. You know, um, someone can, in theory, be 150 pounds and bench press two times their body weight. Say that classic example of the the kid that grows up on the farm and then goes into goes into weightlifting class one day in high school and is able to put up 225 or 300 pounds having never benched before. Exactly. So you can have relative strength or even absolute strength and not have to be big and bulky. Right. You know, whereas you have some bodybuilders who have a lot of muscle mass but don't have the same force output as a power lifter. Mm-hmm. So, and I think this is where people get things mixed up. You know, the average person, yes, we want to have good muscle mass, but I think staying strong is even more important. Yeah. Gaining muscle strength will then create a byproduct of getting bigger, but it's not going to be at the same rate as if you were bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that wasn't confusing to everyone. So the reason we want to have an increase in muscle strength is because one, it's going to keep the muscles working. We always want to have a relative strength to body weight ratio. Hopefully it stays above one. Um, but also with that, that's going to also help keep our tendons and ligaments stronger. If we only lift the same weight day in and day out, it does not increase the tensile strength of ligaments and tendons. Once we get to about age 40, that's when we start to see tendon ruptures increase. And it's not because the tendon's gone bad, the tendon's not able to withstand that force anymore. Strength training can help with that. Mm -hmm. So what is one type of or what's uh, an exercise type that we like for tendon loading? I mean, I would say squats. Squats? Yeah. And now make it more dynamic. Jumps. Jumps. Okay. Yep. So, or, and then if someone has a lower body problem, how can we still increase their power output? So they have a lower extremity condition, they can't jump. What are you going to give them? I'd say like move quickly. Like yeah. a quicker, quicker exactly. goblet squat or something exactly. like that. Just increase the speed you're working at. So... You know, it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be that difficult. Mm-hmm. So, but as we always talk about, what's the foundation of all that? What do they need to have first before we can jump them? Strong, uh, strength, strength, and we get that by resistance training. That's the important part. Ba-ba-da-ba. That's right. <laughs> now, also with that, what I also appreciate about gaining strength and resistance training in general 
is also the big push towards an increased bone mineral density. Yep. Now, that's a big problem for uh, older adults, especially for those who have osteopenia as well, um, especially if you are a smaller, leaner Caucasian female. You're mm-hmm. at an increased risk of osteoporosis or osteopenia. And you and I were just talking before we hit record that there's some newer research coming out of Australia that states for osteoporosis, we should be working at 80% of a one rep max. That's that's huge because the common perception with osteoporosis is, yes, strength training is good for you, but if you do too much, it's going to be detrimental, which, sure, we can all say that. Um, but now this newer research is now really debunking that we can't push them harder. Right. So now it's saying, no, 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 we can and we should. Yep. And not only that, we can actually do jump training. So that's that's huge. You yeah. know? And especially for the ones that are still running, running is single leg jumping over and over again. So if you can run, you can jump. I hate when people, yeah, and I'll say the word hate, it's a strong word, but it fits. I hate when people say, but jumping is is not safe. Yeah. But running out on the road with potholes and cars and <laughs> bikes and all that stuff is yep i i any day of the week if someone does a controlled jump squat that is far safer and less dynamic than running people think that box jumps are the most unsafe exercise in the world box jumps done correctly is safe to me is safer than running absolutely i mean assuming that you have an appropriate height box right yes because that's that's really the only thing that that can go wrong yes but you have those people that are Oh, I was able to jump 20-inch box, so now I'm going to go to 30. It's like, "Mm, that's a big increase. Yeah, and you don't need it. You're probably going to fall on your face or skin your shin all the way down the wood box, which I told you not to use in the first place. (laughs) So, um, But that, it's, again, I I think oftentimes common sense is not so common, and, and people just look at it and say, ah, it's dangerous, I can't do it. Right. So... Hopefully that's not the hopefully that's not the case with our listeners. Um, so we know we have an increase in muscle mass. We know we have an increase in bone mineral density. So those are really the big factors for a lot of older adults. Because we also have what's called sarcopenia, which we've talked about before, is age-related muscle wasting or strength loss. And we talked about how the type 2B muscle fibers will typically get thinner and smaller. But now they're actually saying the size of the muscle, the wasting is not necessarily due to a, an actual loss in strength. Okay. Like the muscle fiber size. Mm-hmm. They actually think it's due to uh, a decrease in the neural communication to the muscle. So when we're looking at the likes of uh, strength training, we're reinforcing that positive pattern. So when we're looking at strength training, we want to make sure that we're actually giving them the most amount of neural input that we can. And they actually have found that when we have an age-related strength loss, it actually should be called dynapenia. So it's not necessarily something that um, is a common term, but dynapenia is really the the way we should look at strength loss as we age compared to an inhibition or a lack of communication with those muscles. So um, if that's the case where it's more of a neural input problem, then we can also see motor unit activations with strength training. So really, all that means is we're reinforcing the communication with the nerves and the muscles that it that it innervates. Um, they've also talked about decreases in neural inhibition, so basically the inability to not do something or to not create a compensation pattern. Um, but I think that's important for older people. Um, and again, I'm not going to put an age on it, but think of balance, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend not to think about balance until we lose it. Um, but a lot of that has to do with the neurology, the, the the motor control, the stabilization, the neural input that we get from our vision, the input that we get from our inner ear. Uh, what type of sensation do we take away from the bottom of our foot hitting the ground? Strength training can help with that. That's the great part. We can also implement balance and coordination training and stability training and 
controlled training, controlled mobility in with strength training. So we don't need a special type of training. It's really just the intention that we have with a given modality. Now we've also talked about the increases in testosterone for males, but it's important for, for males and females to have these biochemical changes. Mm -hmm. And really the big one that we'll see are the increases in growth hormone and insulin-like growth factor for females. Mm -hmm. Of course, they, they, don't, you know, they don't have the relative increase in testosterone that a male would, um, but they still have it and, and we need to recognize that. But the increase in growth hormone and insulin-like growth factor is important because that's going to enhance recovery. It's also going to help them use their muscles, get bigger and stronger, which a lot of people don't necessarily think about, which I know I don't necessarily think about. Um, well, actually I do, but that's just me and I'm weird. But when we think about like sprinting, for example, sprinting releases a large amount of growth hormone and testosterone. So for males, that's super important. The reason why males can work out and lose body fat faster, and again, relative terms, is testosterone. Testosterone is a fat-burning machine. Um, so that kind of gives us the, the cheat code when it comes to, to working out. Now, another huge factor, and I've always said this, is that the more muscle you have, the more efficient your body is at burning actual body fat. Mm-hmm. And your mm-hmm leads me to believe that, that you agree. Yeah, sorry. I should have just waited until you finished talking. That's all right. So would you agree that strength training is a better fat burner than steady state cardio? Yes. Okay. Now, I know there's some variances on this d depending on what maximal heart rate you're at. Yeah. Because we've talked about before, if you're sprinting on – or I, I won't even say sprinting – if you're running on the treadmill at a steady state heart rate that is greater than 80%, you're going to be burning sugar. Now, if you're walking on the treadmill and you can stay below, there is research to show that you can burn more. There's more fat oxidation below that that 70% line. So, again, there's there's some wiggle room with that conversation. But strength training increases muscle mass. Muscle mass increases fat oxidation to be used with your metabolism. To me, that's kind of a no-brainer. Now, the great part with CrossFit is it exposed the masses to barbell training. Yeah. So I'll give them that that credit. Social media has also put a large emphasis on females strength training. I don't think I've ever noticed more female strength training in the last 10 years compared to ever. It's you see yep. everyone doing it. I was going to say I go to the the local gym over here and I would probably say 80% of the females that I see there are doing some form of lifting. Yeah. Very few of them are on the treadmills. Or if they're on the treadmills, I've seen them lifting and they're finishing their workout yeah. walking or doing like a quick run or something like that. But the point is that the main reason that I that they're there seems to be to lift, which is super it's, cool. It's great to see, you know, and it's not like, oh, we're going to lift the pink dumbbells. Like, right. They're picking up. Yep, deadlifts, you know, squats. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that's great to see. Um, so I think the days of just doing cardio mm -hmm. and, you know, hitting the treadmill, uh, I think is behind us, which is which is kind of nice. If someone's a runner and needs to increase their running time, their, their cardio respiratory fitness, then I think getting on a treadmill and just running – like a hamster on the wheel is, is fine mm -hmm. because you have an actual goal. The problem for me with, with weight loss is we have to define what exactly we're trying to lose. Are you trying to lose overall weight or are you trying to lose just fat? Right. Because if your goal is caloric burn, running's a great way to do that. So if someone said to me, you can still strength train while increasing your cardiorespiratory fitness, and that's going to help you burn more body fat, to me, that's a no-brainer. Right. You know, and they actually did show that you can see 10 to 15% increases in VO2 max from circuit training. Yep, I believe it. Whereas if someone truly goes out and does cardiorespiratory fitness, you can expect improvements of 20 to 40% in VO2 max. But... That's huge. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me I can put five or six exercises together and keep going around and around in circuits 
and I'm, I'm getting a cardio benefit, like sign me up. Yep. You know, that, that I think is another type of training that boot camp kind of killed it for a lot of people because that turned into, oh, here's 45 to 50 minutes. I'm just going to beat the shit out of you. Yeah. And hopefully you're army crawling yourself out the door, which there's no real rhyme or reason to it. Mm-hmm. It's just take a 15 second water break and then we're right back into it. If you're not sweating, you're not trying. So there's a time and a place for it, but um, I think it needs to be a little more structured. That's yeah. really the big thing. Now, when we look at other factors that people are mostly concerned with, you know, a lot of people want to have increased muscle mass, but also they want to make sure that they have a decrease in fat mass. So we know that. They also want to make sure they have improved bone health, and that's more for the older individuals. But how exactly do we get there? That's the important part. Because again, it goes back to the person who says, well, I don't want to have to keep lifting more and more weight. The definition of muscular strength is the ability of the muscle group to create force output with or without a resistance. Mm -hmm. And then you have variable muscular strength, which is against the variable resistance. We have to challenge ourselves. That's the important part. Because at the end of the day, it's all about creating, having a stimulus that creates an adaptation. So if you only lift 35 pounds every time you come in, your body will get really, really good at lifting 35 pounds. If you only increase repetitions, you're going to get to a point where there's going to be linear failure. So what I mean by that is maybe you can lift three sets of 10 and you're good to go. Maybe you can push it to three sets of 15. Getting to a point that you can do three sets of 50, that's very challenging. Mm -hmm. So... In a case like that, where someone says, I've been doing 35 pounds, I'm up to three sets of 50, but really I just can't do anymore. <laughs> I know. so ridiculous. I know. <laughs> um, what do you recommend they do to now challenge themselves to create that stimulus? Try 40. Oh, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> now, what would you do with the, uh, the reps at that point? I mean, if they're going up to 50, I would say see how many you can get with the 40. Yeah. But... I mean, realistically, if I was trying to actually create, I'd be shooting for something they could get. If they're that far into the endurance side of it, I'd probably be saying, like, find something that you can only get 10 to 12 reps of. Yeah. And then how, now, and basically I was going to say, how do you know that you're working hard enough? So typically people will use the, either the RPE scale, mm-hmm. the rate of perceived exertion, and seven is kind of like this magic number that everyone picks. Um, there's another scale called Omni Scale, which is the same thing. Um, that's R-E-R based on sometimes too. Yeah, that's a more uh, that's a more subjective one. Correct. So I don't get too caught up in that. I basically tell them, okay, our goal is to hit ten. Yeah. At number ten, if you can easily do eleven, you need to go up and wait. Yeah. So, do I want people to go to failure? Not necessarily unless it's their last set. And right. what do I mean by failure? Meaning I can't physically do anymore. If 10 is my goal, you know, it's a struggle and I'm working at like 95% maximum effort. So I usually will say, well, let's leave two in the tank, especially if we have multiple sets. But an easy way to do that for that individual that we talked about did 35 pounds for 30 sets of 50, we now increase the weight but we drop the set or the repetitions back down to 10. Mm -hmm. And then you can work your way back up to 50 if you want. Do your three sets of 10, then move to three sets of 12. So nothing really changes except six additional repetitions and then eight additional repetitions. And I, that's still strength. Yep. Yes. It's technically defined as muscular endurance, which is the ability to create a submaximal contraction for prolonged periods of time. However, If you can honestly show me and tell me, hey, I lifted five pounds more, great, right away you're you're stronger. I don't care if it's five pounds. I think we get too caught up in these numbers. And again, what's the definition that we're trying to hit? Now for you, if you said, my goal is to lift a one rep max, that's a completely different story now. We're not gonna be concerned with muscle mass. Any muscle mass you get from one rep max training is from the one rep max training. It's a byproduct of, but that's not your primary goal. 
So if you end up gaining muscle mass because of it, that's that's just your genetics. Um, that, that, I mean, we don't care about it, but if you were a female and you gained muscle mass, I'd be like, blame your parents. Well, I mean, think of, I mean, look at Olympic weightlifters, like lifters that are in the actual Olympics, not yeah. just somebody who does an Olympic lift. Most of them are, you. I mean, like, think of, you know, like the mountain or something like that. The guy from Game of Thrones, I can't pronounce his actual name but Hothjord Bjornsson there you go yep see that's why I keep that's why you're here <laughs> to announce ridiculous names no um I mean Olympic weightlifters you would not necessarily imagine you would not if you saw them on the street you probably wouldn't know that they were an Olympic weightlifter Mm-mm. I mean you were you or I might but the average person the average person who's a bodybuilder on the street probably knows they're a bodybuilder yeah. or can make a guess or in the case of the the guy we were just talking about thor yeah um i forget his name from was he the mountain in game of yeah Thrones? that was his name in the that's what i think yeah. of him as the mountain yeah. yeah i mean he's six foot nine yeah he was over 400 pounds that yeah, guy walks down the street human being he's yeah. literally a mountain um, you, you'll know, and he's a he's a he's a world's strongest man competitor, or mm-hmm. was. I mean, he's still a massive beast, so we would know that. But yes, an Olymp- a true an Olympic weightlifter has great power output. They have a lot of muscle mass, relatively speaking, but they still have less muscle mass compared to someone who purposely trains to gain muscle mass. Right. Yeah. They're also going to be a lot stronger, so that's the important part. So. They're giving up size purposely to move a heavyweight fast. Right, right. Whereas you typically have bodybuilders, which are willing to sacrifice the weight to lift slower to increase time under tension. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it, it's a different modality. It's very challenging to train for both at the same time. Yep. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. So if your goal is to build muscle mass, or, or I'd say it's on a spectrum, if your goal is to, to gain strength primarily and muscle mass as a secondary goal, you're going to be shifted more towards, it's probably going to be a, a 90% chance you're going to gain a lot of strength and a 10% chance you're going to gain muscle. However, if your goal is to gain muscle size with a secondary goal of strength, it then reverses. Yeah. You then can gain a lot of muscle mass, but you'll still have a relative increase in strength, just not the same as if your focus was going to be on strength training for for actual one rep max. So I think people need to, to recognize there is a difference between the two. So for an older adult, it's, it's great to increase your strength. I understand you may not want to bulk up, and you won't. Um, but we should all strive to be stronger, you know, but that, that can mean many different things to many different people. However, if we limit ourselves to the same weight or lifting lighter, we may, may not be creating a stimulus that causes an adaptation, which then makes us robust as we get older. You know, one thing I wanted to point out is we talked about before how grip strength can be a predictor of basically a robust lifestyle. So I wanted to pull up the research study and this one came out in 2022, in January of last year. And they looked at a 10-year study, and it basically showed that the greater your grip strength, you actually have a decreased risk of dying prematurely. That's all I need to hear. Yep. That's all I need to hear. So grip strength does not happen by not strength training. You know, someone can have a relative grip strength just based on what they do at work or whatever it is. However, we need to work at it. Grabbing dumbbells, grabbing barbells, grabbing a pull-up bar, um, grabbing farmer's handles, grabbing a kettlebell, that will increase your grip strength. So I know for me personally, we've talked about before, my goal is to be fit for the rest of my life. So for me to see this and to know that the recommendations for older adults have changed. We should be pushing them a lot harder. We know the recommendations for osteoporosis has changed. We should be pushing them harder. Um, we have older adults out there now that are in their 80s and 90s deadlifting over 200 pounds. It's like we've got to maximize our fitness. But a lot of people, I still feel, get to that point of, I'm old. I can't do this. 
Well, that type of attitude is going to get you six feet under real quick. Yeah. So you just, you, you waste away. I mean, as I've talked about before, if I go into the grave with a good body part, I did something wrong. I want to make sure I've, I've used, I got every, every drop out of this body. So, um, What are your thoughts on when people say, I'm too old, I can't do this? I think most of the time it just comes from the fact that they feel so... Usually, in my experience, it tends to happen with people that haven't exercised in a while. Mm -hmm. So, I believe it's... Personally, believe, this is my opinion, that it is less a matter of being afraid of strength training per se and more a factor of they just feel so crummy overall that they feel that they're past the point where they their body could handle it. Yeah. You know, they just wake up in the morning and their back hurts and their hips hurt and their knees hurt and everything. It sucks walking downstairs and they feel out of breath when they walk to the end of the hallway. And it just, they just, it's not so much that they have anything against strength training. They just... They have this this thought process, and I if I didn't know what I know, I could understand why somebody would feel that way. Sure. That if I can't even walk from my room to the end of the hallway without getting tired, if I can't even walk up and down the stairs without my knees and my back screaming at me, well then, I obviously can't go pick up a heavy weight. Like I I can. I can wrap my head around why somebody would think that. It's just unfortunate that that is the prevailing theory because that's what's been um, put out there for so long. Correct. So if someone says to you, my back kills, I can't lift up that weight, what's your next step with them? To try and convince them that their back will feel better if they start to lift the weight. Precisely. More specifically, when it t- comes to coaching people, it usually means making it as making them as successful as possible. Sure. Well, it's kind of like the deadlift. You know, I don't deadlift; it hurts my back. It's like, well, did the deadlift hurt your back, or did bad deadlifting hurt your back? Right. You know, and and we've talked about it before: squats aren't bad for your knees. Bad squatting is bad for your knees. Running is not bad for you. Bad running is bad for you. Um, so really, it's you know. It's like, all right, we have to show your body that it can do it. And this is a very healthy and natural thing that we should be doing. So I think a lot of it is the fear factor, especially as as one ages. Yes, we have more aches and pains. Just there's, there's no denying that. However, if someone told me you can be in pain from working out or you can be in pain from not working out, I'm going to choose the pain from working out because I also know long-term I'm giving myself the best chance to not die prematurely. And just like simply you're giving yourself a better quality of life. You're going to be able to do more. Even if you wake up the day after deadlifting and your back is a little, I mean, obviously we're not talking eight or nine on a scale of 10. I'm talking about normal day after heavier deadlifting soreness, maybe a four or five on a scale of one. If it's like the first time you did a heavier weight or whatever, we're talking a little bit on the in quotes higher end of the scale. But even if you wake up like that, if you're pushing yourself in that way and you're doing it smartly, you're going to be able to do other, you're going to be able to go on hikes. You're going to be able to, you know, if you're, if you love to, to garden, you're not going to have to ask somebody else to move that bag of soil. If you're, you know, working on a house project, you can pick up and move a bag of concrete. You can, you know what I mean? Like it, and those are extreme examples, but just everything else gets easier. You can either be in pain and have everything continue to get further and further away from you, or you can be in less pain and continue to do all the things that you were doing. Correct. There's no scenario where you're going, I have never met the coach who claimed, the coach that I know what they're doing, who knows what people are claiming online, who focuses on strength training that can do it without you ever being sore. Hmm. It's not, to my knowledge, unless there's some kind of crazy ass training out there that I am not aware of, 
There is no scenario where you are not going to sometimes be sore or in a slight bit of, I'm about to use the P word, pain. Hmm. It's okay. Well, You're it, choosing your pain. Correct. And the first time that you you try something, it's more likely to cause a sensitivity because your body's not used to it. I mean, I, I think back to the time when I first started yoga, it put me in end <laughs> ranges that yeah. hurt, like physically hurt my joints, hurt my soul, my ego. Um, and then you get you get better at it. You know, think of foam rolling for the very first time. It sucks. Oh, it does. And then the suck gets less and less, but after a while... Then it feels like a therapeutic suck that you become almost addicted to. Okay, great. You know, so you can say that for any any activity. But what I like that you pointed out with all the activities, the lifting of bad concrete and, and all the other examples, is you're increasing your independence and function exactly. so that you do not have to rely on anyone else. Now again, we're we're going even above and beyond and, and promoting why we should be doing all this stuff. You know, really, we just wanted to get into, you know, yes, you want to make sure you strength train, and there is the difference this and that. But our goal, week in and week out, with these podcasts, are to make sure that we can give you guys tangible information to then help you decide what type of workout modality, technique, uh, rehab approach is going to be the best for you and. We're not telling you you have to listen to us. We just want you to understand, hey, there are large benefits associated with this, and you're you're going to be selling yourself short if you don't maximize what you have now. So um, yeah, it sounds like I'm more preaching now, and that's not what I wanted on that. <laughs> but you know that's that's what we're here to do. We're here to hopefully let you guys know. It's okay to strength train. It's okay to gain muscle mass. It's it's okay to have more muscle than the societal norm. It's it's okay to lift heavy things. It's what else am I am I am I missing? It's just it's all it's okay. Yeah. All of it. It's it's okay. It's okay to be sore. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. That we're all in pain. It's okay. There's there's never a day I don't have pain. Does it stop me? No. Um, you know, but I also think that's from all the years of, of strength training to make me resilient enough because we that's our goals. Can we make our tissue resilient enough to put up with the demands of, of, of life? Right. More physical than psychological, but they all play together. So um, let me ask you, and I granted I know we're we're kind of getting to the end here, but so when we talk about pain. Yeah. Would you say that, and like, I know that this may be a difficult because we tend to not go through huge lengths of time where we don't train at all. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But when you've gone through a length of time where you don't train at all or very, 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 very minimally, you know, whatever, you're traveling, you're on vacation, whatever, would you say that you have more consistent aches and pains compared to when you train more see when i train more consistently i find my aches and pains are actually less and less consistent than when i you know don't train for a week because i have to do x y and z or i'm away yeah. or whatever so so i'd say it depends because really what we're talking about is length of time um so if you have like a sore shoulder from working out mm -hmm. You take some time off. You can remove the the stimulus that may potentially be causing tissue sensitivity. Yeah. So acutely speaking, it's okay to take some time off. Yes, yes, yes. However, if you're taking all of your time off right. and you're not resistance training or you're one of these people that, you know, every three to four weeks I'll make my way to the gym and I'll fit in a haphazard workout, um, you're going to end up having more aches and pains over time because you're not gaining strength. You're not building up the surrounding musculature around joints. You're not you don't have good core stabilization. And I know core stabilization is is um kind of one of those topics where people are like, oh core strength doesn't matter. You know, performance is not correlated with it. Back sure. pain's not correlated with it. That's fine. I still want people to work on it. Uh, you know, it yeah. it it's not gonna hurt someone to work on core strength. No. So and un, until you show me something that's better, then I'm not going to care. And core strength comes in many different varieties. 
It doesn't just have to be planks. It can be pal-off presses. It can be farmer's walk. It can be heavy deadlifts. That's still core training. Mm-hmm. Um, we just need to, to recognize that. So sometimes we just have to take out, out of our own way. But to circle back to, to your question, over the long term, mm-hmm. you will have less aches and pains if, if you condition your body with strength training and resistance training. Um, there are the, the rare individuals out there who have never worked out a day in their lives and they say, I have no pain, which there's three scenarios. Sweet. They're lying. (laughs) Two, they really don't have pain or three, their body's so used to it. They've desensitized over time. You know, the, the average person will sensitize over time. Mm -hmm. So they become more aware of it. But like anything else, you know, there are those who they have that pain. It doesn't stop them. And over time, they desensitize to it. It doesn't fix the problem. They're just not, it's not in the forefront of their thought. Right. So um, hopefully it's it's not going to make anything worse down the road. But so hopefully that, that answers your question yeah, about, yeah. about pain. All right, that's all the stuff that I had for the importance of resistance training. And I know I went off the rails a couple times yeah, we talking went off about a different few things. Tangents, yeah, but. so <laughs> we apologize if this is not as kind of standardized as it usually is. But it's just something that we're, we're so passionate about that it's important to try to, or I won't say it's boring, it's hard to really control one thought at a time. Yeah. Because you start talking about one aspect and then it leads you down another avenue and then another one, and then next thing you know, you're talking about nutrition, and then that pulls us back to the beef ribs in Dallas, and, <laughs> and then then we're going to get all over the place. So if you guys are confused about any of this, I apologize. It was mostly me screwing you up. Adam was just along for the ride today. Um, but we appreciate you guys listening as always. Hopefully, for those of you um, who do have a little bit of an aversion with wanting to get stronger or... Um, you don't necessarily want to lift hef- heavier weights. Hopefully, this gives you a green light to try it. You know, you don't have to lift 70 pounds more every time you walk into the gym. Even just loading up 5 to 10 pounds at a time or a 5 to 10% increase will help with that stimulus to make you stronger and bone build your bones bigger, make you more resilient, make you more independent and functional, and hopefully increase your grip strength so that you won't have an increased likelihood of a premature death. So... You guys know the drill at this point, so we'll leave you with that. All of our information will be listed at the bottom. If you have any questions about today's podcast, we're always here to to have some follow-up conversation about it. Um, We're always looking for topics to talk about, so if this uh, helps you guys think of any topics that you want us to, to really dive into, let us know. But until next time, stay healthy. Later, guys.